Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. Welcome to Sword and Laser. I'm Tom Merritt, and this is a special interview episode. Every so often, we get a chance to go to the Nebula conference put on by SIFWA, which you will hear me in one of our interviews from there totally get wrong. And thank goodness for Greg Van Eekhout to help me figure out that it is, in fact, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America conference. Of course, it's most famous for the Nebula Awards, but there's a lot more going on there, including some of your favorite authors all getting together to talk to each other about writing uh, and talk to each other about books and show off their books and, of course, award the Nebula Awards. This year, I was very lucky to get a chance to sit down with a couple of fabulous authors, so we'll be putting those two interviews out uh, in our off weeks. I hope you enjoy them. Here is one of our Nebula interviews. I'm here with Gregory Van Eekhout. Is it Gregory or just Greg? Just call me Greg. Greg? Yeah. But do you go by Gregory on your Gr- books? No, I don't. You never uh, do. Where did I get Gregory from? Gregory is my name. I mean, yeah. that is my actual name. But okay. uh, Van Eekhout is a long enough. But I, I was concentrating on saying Van Eekhout, really? right? Well, you're concentrating on the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> you're concentrating on falseness. <laughs> uh, we're here with Greg Van Eekhout, uh, author, and uh, here at the Nebula Awards Conference. Uh, welcome. Thanks for talking with oh, us thanks. today. thanks. Totally my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I called you the wrong name. And I'm a little And loom peeved. over me the rest of this interview. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is going to be very combative from now on. <laughs> this is awkward now, <laughs> Thomas. Uh, so tell us about uh, the books you write. You, we, we read California Bones uh, for the show, but you have many others. Yeah, well, I kind of have two tracks to my career. I do adult science fiction and fantasy, and I do middle grade. Middle grade is uh, 8 to 12 years old, or roughly third grade through sixth grade. Uh, and there's not really that much overlap between those two parts of my career and the audiences. Um, it's, it's, and I haven't done YA yet, which would be the thing in the would middle. Would be the bridge, yeah, right? yeah. But uh, and my first novel uh, was an adult novel, Norse Code, and that came out 10 years ago this month. It's actually a 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it was like a paperback original. Um, didn't have a lot of promotion or publicity, and it was from Random House, and this was 2009. So the global economy mm. was in flames, and publishing was much the same. So the fact that it's still in print at all, uh, is way surprising to me. And that to me is like the accomplishment of that book. Um, so I thought that book was going to completely fail. So I thought I needed to reboot my career before that book was actually released. So I wrote um, a couple of middle grade books and, um, that was fun. And then I didn't want to let my adult career die. So I went back and did three adult books and that was great. And then I figured I missed middle grade. So now I've done, um, a middle grade that came out last year and another one that's coming out in October. So basically I just keep sort of swerving and probably, probably it's not a good career idea because I feel <laughs> like every time I gather an audience, I'm like, well, bye for a couple of years, but it's fun. Yeah. And your middle grade books are about dogs. They're not all I've written. Oh, some grade, of them are yeah. uh, one of them for the most recent voyage okay. of the dogs is about uh, dogs on a spaceship uh, in the far future. And they get uh, left behind on their spaceship and have to complete their mission without a human crew. Um, 
that one was a bit of a response to some life circumstances and the 2016 election. And I just wanted to write something that was uh, fun and uh, not dark. The previous books I'd written, the Osteomancy or California Bones trilogy was really, really dark. Mm -hmm. And when I was thinking what to write after that trilogy ended, I thought I can't go back to that sort of dark world of evil people doing nasty things to each other and needed goodness. And what's better, what's more good than dogs? I tweeted six months worth of dog pictures. That was my response to that. So, oh, yeah, so sure. I'm not far off. Yeah. My entire Tumblr um, dash is nothing but dog pictures. <laughs> I call it curated. summer of puppies. Yeah. And we, gosh, we need them. Um, mm -hmm. We need them. And dogs are so good and they're so perfect. And they're, they don't know who the president is. That's what I love about dogs. They have no idea. We are, uh, I want to warn the listeners right now, we are probably just going to talk about our dogs now. That's, for that's the rest good. Of, because, it's good. yeah, I have two dogs. Why don't dogs. we just show each other's pictures yeah. <laughs> on a podcast? I have a German Shepherd named Ray and a uh, Border Collie named Sawyer. Oh, wow. So that's a, that's a lot of big dog energy. Yeah. We, well, and we used to have a uh, German Shepherd Rottweiler mix named Django. Django, the yeah. German Shepherd Rottweiler mix. Mm -hmm. We have two dogs. We have Dozer, who's a nine-year-old uh, Jack Russell mix, and Amelia, who's a mix of like Corgi and Rat Terrier and Chinchilla or something. <laughs> I, we have really no idea. What, and, and I don't even know that her DNA would show up as like dog. She's wild animal and they're just, they're just good and they're fun. And, and, um, you know, they do stupid things. Dozer ate a ground squirrel a couple of months ago, whole, which was about a third his size. Ouch. Yeah. But he looked like he'd fulfilled his life purpose. He looked so smug and happy. So even that was like a good experience. There's a, there's an internal narrative to a dog that is just pointing towards wanting the best for you. Yeah. 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 Also, um, there's, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that thinks like dogs are mystical or that mm -hmm. they are geniuses. Cause I don't think they're geniuses. I think they're honestly, you know, fairly stupid. Um, they, they, they certainly do. Like, but their hearts are in the right place. Their hearts place. are in the right place. <laughs> exactly. They're just, they just all heart. They are 100% heart. And then after that, it's just like slobber and poop. And yeah. Really I, I feel like maybe Django was smart. Was 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 pretty intelligent. Yeah, uh, and, and sometimes we joke that she wasn't a dog. We weren't sure. Maybe she came from outer space. Sawyer and Ray, on the other hand, are yeah. dog, uh, yeah. eating poop, uh, right. breaking fences because they want to get at something that they don't know what to do with when they get it. Yeah. The first week we had Dozer, I was removing a severed bird lake from his mouth. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't grow up with dogs. I didn't have dogs. Neither some... did I. I. We had cats growing up. Okay. Interesting. Did you like, what made you decide at what point you're like, oh, I need dogs? I had a roommate uh, in the 90s in Austin uh, who had wolf hybrids, oh, Samoyed, wow. Samoyed wolf hybrids. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I married a woman who loved dogs. And, and so I was like, well, I've, I got to love dogs a little bit too. Sure. Yeah. Let's get, let's get dogs. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of like, for me, it was like a biological clock that went off unexpectedly. Oh yeah. Like I was kind of, I was, I used to be afraid of dogs and then I was indifferent to them. Uh -huh. And then at one moment I'm just like, oh my God, I suddenly love every dog I see and I need to have a dog. Um, I don't believe in uh, religion or even a cosmic plan, but something chemical happened in my brain that was unexpected that changed my life. And there's no going back now. I put bow ties on my dogs. I'm that guy. I <laughs> we own a bow tie yeah, yeah, for, right. uh, for a dog. I mean, sure. I also own one myself, of course, as a, I don't, <laughs> I only own a, it's a, a small collection of bow ties for my dogs. A clip on, clip on. <laughs> but the dogs is also a clip on. I mean, it's a collar. Yeah. Uh, so, so this love of dogs eventually led to voyage of the dogs, which, is middle, like you said, middle age. Right. I, I assume it's, it's just a fun romp. Well, it's, uh, I believe in fun romps and I feel on one level that book is a fun romp, but you're spending 
six months to a year working on something, and it has to be at some level intellectually engaging for me mm -hmm. to keep my interest. So it's not just about that. It's also about, uh, you know, there's the saying on the internet, like, we don't deserve dogs. And I kind of took that question seriously, like, do we deserve dogs? Because these are dogs that are being asked to take enormous risks. And when things go south, they're not considered worthwhile enough by the humans to actually expend great effort to rescue them. So it's about uh, abused loyalty mm. and it's about abandonment. And then the pack itself, they have their own inter-pack issues. So it's about relationships that I try to make as rich as human relationships would be. Uh, we also talk about uh, the, the ship they're on is the Laika, which is the Soviet I was going to ask, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that dog was probably mistreated pretty badly. Mm -hmm. um, she she was never intended to come back safely to Earth. And the dogs engage with that story. They learn what happened to Laika. Mm -hmm. And they start to question whether uh, humans deserve their loyalty. And they face at a certain point, like they find some survivors of their crew. And should they risk themselves further to rescue them? So they're actually facing some sort of existential and ethical uh, dilemmas. So, so other other than the issues of questions of loyalty and abandonment, it's a fun round. <laughs> other than that, yeah. Well, that no, sounds mean, great. I, seriously, I, you know, the gravity gives out, and you have a great Dane puppy that's floating around in like you know zero g. So that's yeah. fun. You know, they communicate by sniffing butts, and because they're, they're dogs, and that stuff is fun. So, you know, um, there's there's a lot of fun stuff in the book. Do you have, uh, are, are, are it, you're on a kind of a, a middle age, uh, book, middle grade, I'm middle, middle grade, aged. sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good one. Now I'm going to have to take that out. Uh, you're, you're on a middle grade, uh, uh, trend right now. Are you going to steer back? Yeah, eventually I will. Eventually I do. Um, my short fiction is all adult. And so I'm, I get some of that, uh, itch scratched, but yeah, I have ideas for more adult books and, so after I wrote um, two middle grade books in a row, for um, that's when I turned to the California Bone series. And my first draft, the first chapter, was nothing but F-bombs, just a million of them. Because there's something about uh, having to constrain yourself and yeah. be school appropriate mm -hmm. that goes a little counter to my tendencies. So I don't think I can suppress that forever. At some point, I'm going to write some like gross, gnarly <laughs> stuff. Uh, well, we'll all enjoy it, I'm sure. So, I hope so. so, yeah. Unless I do it poorly, but I hope so. Well, uh, one of the things we loved about California Bones, uh, aside from the compelling characters and, and an excellent world building, uh, was, and, and actually this is part of the world building, uh, was the, 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 um, allusions to things in our world that were in that world as well. Uh, and I know Veronica and I on the, on the show, when we reviewed it, talked about, uh, the, especially the taco places and chicken sandwich places yeah. that, that showed up in, in that. Uh, and we were talking a little bit downstairs before we came up here about how that, that's, that's a fun little Easter egg. It seemed like that you, yeah, I think, I think for people I've, I've gotten feedback from people that are familiar with LA, that they enjoyed seeing those things that they're familiar with, but also it's just, it's a question of world building. Like if I'm going to set something in Los Angeles, uh, I don't want to reinvent Los Angeles entirely from the ground up because then why put it in Los Angeles? And the world is going to be transformed by a world in which there are bone-eating wizards and magic. So it was just sort of that science fictional game. Like if this one thing changed, how would it change everything else? And then having grown up in L.A., I relied mostly on the things about L.A. that I was familiar with. So, yeah, Tito's Tacos is still a taco place. It's but, still a great um, taco place, yeah. But, you know, the Crystal Cathedral is like a weird uh, church of bone-eating people, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Walt Disney is still around, but he's a horrific, like, quasi-immortal wizard. Yeah. 
And that stuff was really fun for me to do. That was kind of like the thing that when the plot wasn't really thrilling me and I didn't know what to do next, just do some LA world building. Mm -hmm. And that was fun. And that seems to be the thing that people respond to most in those books, even if they're not from LA. Yeah, because it gives you a little bit of an alternate history. I mean, everybody knows, knows who Walt Disney is. Right. So, you know, even if they don't get the Tito's Tacos reference, that just feels like depth of world if you don't know that it's a real thing. Uh, but you've got enough of the other things that, that really do, and, and, and I use that term alternate history on purpose because I, I liked that aspect of it uh, a lot. You always want to allude to or uh, suggest that there's a world that exists beyond the margins of the page. And the more specific those are, whether they're made up or not, but the more specific those are, the more you're creating the illusion that you're not just um, on uh, a, a plywood set, mm -hmm. that there's actually, as you said, depth of world behind it. So that's something that I think good fiction does anyway. There should be a taco place in your world, whether it is a second world fantasy. It doesn't have to be a taco place, but, you know, your, your stew place. Yeah or, yeah. or whether it's based on a real place. I mean, it probably should be a taco place, but I sure. I think there should I'm be a taco gonna, place everywhere. I'm not going to put walls around anybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, if, if Tolkien screwed up, it was like dearth <laughs> of tacos. Uh, I want that. That fan fiction probably exists when, you know, it's the internet, but I, I do want <laughs> sure. the fan fiction yeah. about the Hobbit taco place. And Legolas goes out for, you know, elf churros. <laughs> so we're here at the Nebula Awards and I, and I know, well, we're here at the Nebula Conference. Uh, the Nebula Awards is what most people know about, the nominees and, and the winners. Uh, but there's a whole conference that goes on that I don't think a lot of people realize. What what does the Nebula conference side of this mean to you? Well, what's a little different from the Nebula as, as opposed to, um, say, a Worldcon is that ostensibly it's supposed to be uh, the membership is supposed to be practicing professional, professional writers. Uh, so it's way more business and craft oriented. Uh, very specifically, some like it could be like how to get into a writer's room, which uh, prose writers is not something that we probably know about, but is really useful. Like for a movie or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Or yeah, and um, there are agents giving talks. There's talks about copyright. Sifua um, recently started welcoming indie writers in, so there's things specifically catered to 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 their particular needs and marketing and gaining visibility. Whereas that's probably a component of a lot of other cons, like Worldcon, that is the heart of CIFWA. And um, in, this is a place where writers come to meet with their editors and to meet other writers. And there's not a lot of cosplay here. Mm. Uh, there's not a dealer's room selling merch. It's, it's really focused on uh, craft. It's a, tra it's a trade show. It's a trade show. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a small trade yeah, show. Yeah. And because it's science fiction, there is sort of the, still a, um, a fanish sort of population that um, grew up at conventions and came to this through fandom. So that element is there also for those looking for it. Uh, but that's not the primary focus. Now, uh, CIFWA, if anybody doesn't know, is Science Fiction Writers Association. It's Science Fiction Fantasy Writers of America, even of though there's America. only one F in oh, it. Oh, okay. And I forgot the fantasy. I apologize yeah. to Veronica and all the swords in the audience. Uh, but uh, that aside, th I know we have a lot of people who would like to become professional writers and be able to join CIFWA and, and, and be able to come to the Nebulas as a, as a working writer. Do you often talk to young writers or, or starting writers? They don't even have to be young. Uh, well, uh, yeah, there are opportunities when I, when I get to. Um, whenever I do some kind of event at a bookstore, um, there's usually uh, aspiring writers there mm -hmm. and they ask questions. And that's how I came up before I came up at a time when there weren't a lot of online resources for writers. 
So I would uh, go to writers' panels and editors' panels at various conventions. And whenever I can be on a, a writing or craft-oriented panel, I love to do that. And I get a lot of questions about um, being a writer from kids at school visits. I mean, they are starting really young. Um, I do a uh, high school workshop once a year at Canyon Crest Academy in San Diego. And uh, most of those high school kids are actually really serious about wanting to be writers. And you can't talk down to them and just say, like, well, you just have to find a good idea. And they want to actually know, like, what the business is like. I try to find a balance between telling them what the business is like and not breaking their dreams. Because if you talk about it very, very realistically and specifically, it can sound depressing because mm -hmm. it really can be. Discouraging, certainly. It's really yeah. discouraging. Well, it can really sound discouraging, mm -hmm. especially if you're young and your idea of what your dream is still looks really good and shiny. And I don't want the, you know, the, the business will take that away from them soon enough. I don't <laughs> really feel a strong need to do that, mm -hmm. but I do want to be honest about it. So what kind of things do you, do you tell to aspiring writers? Well, you know, I tell them how many rejections are going to get. Mm -hmm. And, um, and even though, you know, I tell them how many rejections you're going to get, I actually show them pictures of my rejection letters and I show them pictures of actual slush piles at publishers because I feel they should get the visual impact of what they're going against. So there's uh, at least a few studies that um, say the most competitive jobs are first uh, dance choreographer, hmm. second professional writer, and third professional athlete. Hmm. And I think they need to know that um, it's competitive, not so that they think they can't do it, but just so they know how hard they're going to have to work at it and how long they're going to have to work at it. Uh, and the main thing I tell them is um, just learn to finish your work, get to the end, send it out, get your rejection letter and work, keep working on something else. Um, and that's, that's not just true for, for like high school students or kids. I mean, that's adults who are, have been at this for a while will continue to work on the same piece over and over and over again instead of just saying like, you know what, it's always going to suck. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to write something else that's better. They invest so much in the idea that there's that, going to be that one story or one novel that's going to start their career. When in fact, like, no, you're always going to be starting your career. And you're always going to be struggling uphill with every project you do. So let's just start doing that. Yeah. I, it just occurred to me when, with your description there that, it, that rejection letters are like experience points. Yeah, absolutely. They're not, they're not something to be sad about. They're like, oh, good, I got one. Because I need to build up a bunch of these to be able to have success. And it's okay to be sad about it. It's yeah, okay sure. to be discouraged and upset and sad about it. But being discouraged and sad and upset should not preclude you continuing to work to get to the point mm -hmm. that you're going to be discouraged and sad and upset by other things in your writing career. Yeah. I, I, I'm always, it's always notable to me when I hear authors talking, you know, off mic, uh, just, just at conferences like this. In fact, there was one yesterday, just offhandedly was talking to some other people and said like, well, this story got rejected. So I'm going to like, it's just a normal part of life. Oh yeah. 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 No, I'm going to basically what they should do is I'm going to email it to somebody yeah, else. That's what they went on yeah, to say. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it's, you know, I mean, I'm not like a big name author and I wouldn't call myself a huge success, but I've published uh, seven books so far and I'm, I'm contracted for 10. So I have a little bit of, a little bit of success and that doesn't mean that I don't get told no with every project. I mm -hmm. recently went looking for a new agent and you know what? I got offers from two and I got rejections from 10. Um, when my book gets sent out to multiple publishers, most of them will say no. Uh, so you, you're never going to have people not shutting doors in your face. You just have to look for other doors and yeah. learn it early. Get, get that. That's a habit you can build to, to pick yourself up, be upset, and then continue on. How did you get started writing? I wanted to be a, a comic book artist. Um, I didn't work hard enough at it because I never got 
to the point that I could even draw a hand. But I realized that the things that got positive feedback were like the dialogue and the captions. And so I kind of realized, okay, this is something that I can do and I'm getting positive feedback for it just at school, you know, pats on the head and mm -hmm. pats on the head really encouraged me. They really motivated me. So by the time I was in high school, I kind of decided I wanted to be a professional writer. So that's when I started writing stories. And back then you'd put them in a manila envelope and send them through the post office mm -hmm. and getting those rejection letters. And um, I think I sold my first story when I was 26 and I didn't sell my first novel till I was uh, 40. So it was a really, really long um, apprenticeship. It was really, really a long time of being upset and discouraged and sad. But uh, at this point, it's the only thing I want to do. It's a, I've had multiple jobs. This is the only one that I've ever actually really liked. So in that sense, I think this was this, the thing I was supposed to do. What were the other jobs? Oh, let's see. I, uh, I scooped ice cream at Baskin Robbins. Nice. I was not good at it. I was bad at ice cream but and still, bad at cash registers. Ice cream. Oh uh, yeah, I was so sick of the ice cream. Yeah. It was just sticky. You know, or you're right. Yeah, I worked at Pizza Hut. The oh, same thing. Probably, you yeah. just hated pizza when I right. worked there. Right. Yeah. Like, so you know, yeah. it took me a while to come to, back to terms with the ice cream. Um, I was a telemarketer. Mm. Um, I sold uh, newspaper advertising. Been a bookseller, a bookstore assistant manager. I've been an adjunct faculty uh, English teacher. Uh, I did some educational software development and flash animation. Excellent. Well, uh, if folks want to find out more about your books, where should they go? Go to gregvanecout.com or easierwritingandsnacks.com and got all my bibliography with buy buttons and all that stuff. And snacks? Uh, not that much about snacks. Those, <laughs> but I'm still very interested in snacks. Those are my two passions. All right. We're well, looking forward to that. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Totally cool. All right, Thanks. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed doing it. And of course, uh, if you have thoughts about it, uh, send them our way. Feedback at swordandlaser.com. Uh, you can find the way to support us at patreon.com slash swordandlaser so we can maybe travel to more of these kinds of things. We're going to be going to Worldcon, uh, partly because you are able to help us to do that sort of thing. So keep the support coming. And of course, everything is available at swordandlaser.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!